0: turn to the book of Mark. We're still in Mark chapter 1. And if you found your place in Mark chapter 1, let's read uh, the first 13 verses and follow along as I read uh, this passage this morning. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John did baptize in the wilderness, and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, and there went out unto him all the land of Judea, and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of skin about his loins, and he did eat locusts and wild honey, and preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and to unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost." And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John and Jordan. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. This is the passage which we want to uh, look at the context of and uh, uh, be reminded of the two verses that we're going to look at this morning. We've read it again. John the Baptist, who, rem- remember, was Isaiah's prophesied forerunner of the Messiah, has prepared the way of the Lord, has declared that Jesus of Nazareth is God's messenger. And we've also seen the Spirit confirms this by descending upon the Lord Jesus at his baptism like a dove. And uh, then the heavens are torn apart and we hear the voice of the Father declaring, Thou art my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And so we have the context here, and it's extremely important for us to get the point that Mark is talking about here in verses 12 and 13. I believe it's important in any book, any passage, any portion of the Bible, that we understand what the context uh, here is. But here's the point. All of these verses, up till now, have been commendations of the Lord Jesus Christ as God's Messiah. They've kind of been authentications of his identity. So when we come to verse 12 and 13, here's the point. All this makes really no difference who Christ is, who John says he is, who Isaiah says he is, who the Holy Spirit says he is, who the Father says he is, he still must suffer the temptation. He still must suffer a trial and pain and tribulation in order to do God's will. Now let me mention something so that you really understand where I'm coming from here. Though he was clearly declared the son of God, though he was being declared here as the king who is bringing his kingdom in a sense in the wilderness after the identification of him, he's He's not permitted to go back into Jerusalem and live the life of a king and to live, live the life of the Messiah as the Jews expected. God doesn't allow him to go back and set up an earthly kingdom. He must stay in the wilderness. In spite of who he is, he must be in the desert. He must be tempted of the devil. And, of course, Mark's great theme is that he must go to the cross. In other words, he must do God's will in God's way, and God's way was the way of suffering, not the way of force. By the way, in talking about the kingdom of God, I was recently asked, what's the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven? I said we would get to that probably today. But as far as it looks like right now, we're not. So I'm going to hold you in suspense about that for another week. And uh, we'll see how these two phrases are interchangeable. If you read Matthew 19 and verses 34, uh, 23 24, Jesus actually used both terms, Kingdom of Heaven and Kingdom of God. And uh, we'll talk more about that later. But today we want to give attention to the temptation of the servant. Certainly the other Gospels give us a good commentary on this situation, and we'll be referring to them as well. So notice, first of all, the timing of his temptation. Uh, Verse 12 says, And immediately, Uh, that's one of the key words used by uh, Mark in his Gospel here. But it lets us know that the trial that Jesus faces in the wilderness occurred just as his baptism is completed. Really, there's no lag in the in action here. One moment Jesus is hearing the approval of the Father, receiving the anointing of the Spirit, confirming his acceptance uh, to his mission, and the next moment he finds himself being compelled to go into this time of temptation. Now, there's a great lesson here, I think, for us as children of God. We're never more vulnerable than we're coming out of a time of great victory. I trust as a Christian you've had some of those times. You've had some times of great victory where you've, you've really seen the Lord bless in your life. But if you are honest with yourself and you think about some of those times where God really blessed in your life and you, it could have been understanding the light going on when you're reading a passage of scripture. It could have been uh, having a connection with someone else, a relationship uh, with someone else, a witness, a testimony, uh, leading someone to the Lord, whatever it was, a great time of victory most likely came after that a time of trial. And that's what happens. Satan loves to attack us when we are strongest. This is clearly taught in the scripture, First Corinthians chapter 10 verse 12. "Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall." Uh, you just think about uh, Elijah on Mount Carmel. Uh, he prays a short prayer, and fire of God falls, consuming the sacrifice. Uh, He takes the 450 prophets of Baal and has them put to death. He prays again, and it rains for the first time in three and a half years. Uh, He even outruns the chariot of King Ahab all the way back to Samaria. Elijah is at the top of his game. Fast forward less than 24 hours. Jezebel sends him word that she's going to do the same thing to him as he did to the prophets of Baal. What does Elijah do? Does he remember the power of God and say, well, okay, bring it on, Jesse? No. Does he say, you know, God's going to handle you? No. He runs in fear. So beware when you think you have enjoyed a great spiritual victory and you get in on a good move of God, a moving of God, and you think that you're invincible, and you've reached a place where the devil can't touch you. When you think like that, you're headed for a time of testing. Satan will also come when you're tired, when you're weak, and that was how he came to Jesus. So notice the timing. Secondly, notice the territory of his temptation. Again, here in verse 12, we are told that Jesus was sent into the wilderness. Uh, the Jews saw the wilderness as a place of danger, of gloom, of uh, an abode of the demons. For them, it represented everything that was evil and separated from God. Jesus was sent into the wilderness to do battle with the devil on his own territory. Jesus had already invaded the devil's territory when he was born into this world. You see, the Bible tells us that Satan is the god of this world in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. And when Jesus came into this world, he was declaring war on the devil and bringing the battle to him. And so in the temptation, the battle lines between Jesus and Satan are clearly drawn right from the outset. And we notice here that the temptation of Jesus served three basic purposes. Number one, the devil found out just who he was dealing with. Secondly, the son to experience the father's ability to take care of him. And thirdly, we can see there's help for us when we face our own times of testing. And I'm glad that Jesus endured the temptation and the testing that he did. It, he is able to help us to face those times in our life. Hebrews 2.18 says, For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. So we notice the timing of his temptation, the territory of his temptation. Notice the trials of his temptation. Again here in verses 12 and 13, we have Mark's description of these events. and It's very brief but we can see some important truths here. I want you to notice, first of all, the leadership. The temptation was all about Jesus doing battle with the devil. But Mark is quick to tell us that the Spirit of God is the one who caused Jesus to go into the wilderness. Notice the word Driveth there. The Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. Now that's the same word used in verse 34. If you skip down to verse 34, it said, and he healed many that were sick of divers diseases and cast out. Same word, driveth, cast out many devils. You find it in verse 39 as well. And he preached in the synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out driveth out. That's the same word. You'll find it in verse 43 uh, as well. He straightly charged him and forthwith sent him away. That, that sent him away. The same word as the word here, driveth. When temptations to evil come, they really never come at the hand of God. We're told that in James. If you remember way back in James chapter 1 verse 13, God never leads people into sin He's in the business of leading us away from evil, and yet he will send us into periods of testing. He does this not to cause us to fail, but to help us to grow in the Lord. He knows that when we do our best growing, it's when the pressure is on. God will not send you into a time of temptation to sin, but he will send you into a time of testing to help you grow. Just ask Joseph about why he ended up in the pit in Genesis. Uh, God will never send you into sin, but he will put you in a place where your faith will be tested. And Satan also uses these times to tempt us. So we notice the leadership here. Second, we notice the loneliness. In that wilderness place, Jesus was cut off from his friends and his family. He was shut off for a time so that he might be tested. His only companions were the wild beasts, the angels, and the devil. He said, I thought you said he was alone. Well, we do not know why. Mark mentions the wild beasts. He may have mentioned them to emphasize the fact that Jesus was in a barren place inhabited by wild animals. I think you'd have a feeling of loneliness if it was always just you and wild animals. The desert in the Jesus day was inhabited by lions and hyena and wild boars and jackals. And these are all fierce beasts of prey that might have stalked the Lord Jesus during this time. And some believe that these animals recognized their creator and came near to comfort him in his trials. But again, we're not told that. The angels did not even give him food during his testing until it was finished. Matthew chapter 4 verse 11, the word ministered there is the same word as translated deacon. It means to wait tables, to offer food, and to drink to guests. But they were with him during the entire ordeal. They communed with him. They gave him emotional, spiritual, and mental support during this testing time. And the Spirit of God was also there to give the Lord comfort during this trial. The Holy Spirit is called the Comforter in the book of John. John 14 and verse 16. Uh, the word comforter refers to one who comes alongside of another to offer aid and comfort. And then, of course, the devil was there. He was there to see Jesus fail. He came to tear the Lord down and to defeat him if he could. And how many times during these 40 days did Satan tell Jesus that no one cared? How many times did he tell the Lord how foolish he was for trusting God? God. How many times did he point out the fact that Jesus was alone? There was no one there to help him. There was no food. There was no friends. And you know, there are times when it feels like we're walking through some of those hard places ourselves. And we feel all alone. It seems that the only one around us is the devil. He comes around to do to us just what he did to Jesus. He comes to mock us to mock our faith, challenge our resolve to the truth of the Lord. And you know, even when you're all alone, so it seems, you are really not. Because the Lord's angels are there ministering to you in ways that you will not know until you get to heaven. The Lord himself is there, even when you can't see him, you can't sense or him or feel him, he's still there to help you. And there are many passages I've uh, listed there that you can find these truths. He's also in you and he's with you. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And so when you feel like you're all alone and the, the everything's against you, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you're never alone. Never. Our Lord knows how to help those who are lonely. Because he's been there. So we notice the leadership, the loneliness, notice the length. The time of testing lasted 40 days. Now the number 40 in the Bible is used for times of testing, times of probation, or times of preparation. Uh, Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness. Uh, Moses spent 40 years on the backside of the desert in training. The spies spent 40 days spying out Canaan. Uh, The rains that were upon the earth 40 days and nights during the flood. And so the number 40 is significant. It's associated with testing. We're told by Matthew that Jesus fasted those 40 days. He also spent that time in close communion with the Father. He was preparing himself spiritually for the showdown that was coming when Satan would unleash his temptations. Jesus was getting ready for the battle. The time of testing lasted 40 days for Jesus. We never know how long our times of testing will be when they do come our way. But our duty, our responsibility is to be prepared for them when they come, to weather them in the grace of God, to exit them with our uh, testimony intact. You know, we do not know how hard the battles may be, but we do have the promise that God is going to be there to support us through them all. I thought that was an interesting number, 40. Just so happens my number in high school was 40. We had a time of testing, it lasted more than 40 days, but two seasons, we ended up 18 and 0. And uh, believe it or not, that's me. Uh, a few hundred pounds le- uh, later. Well, not a few hundred, but a, a few pounds, I should say. And I'm still twice the man my wife married. So um, I just thought that was interesting. I thought about that word, uh, at number 40, and that was my number. But uh, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about this morning. Okay, let's go on. Notice, fourthly, the load. That was just to wake some of you up. All right. Mark simply tells us that Jesus was tempted of Satan. Uh, This implies that he was attacked by Satan uh, during this entire 40-day period. Now, Matthew tells us that it was the at the end of 40 days, when Jesus was weak from the fasting, that Satan came against him with his strongest and most pointed attacks. But to understand what Jesus faced and what it teaches us, I think we need to look back at Matthew's account, because Mark doesn't really give us the details here of, of this testing. So we want to go back to Matthew chapter 4, if you will. Matthew chapter 4. And let's examine three temptations that were mentioned here and see the lessons that we can uh, glean from them. Matthew chapter 4. Notice the first temptation in verses 3 and 4. It says, And when the tempter came to him, and he said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. In this temptation, Satan's, uh, Satan questions the son's relationship with the father. No doubt Satan had heard the father's declaration back there in chapter 1 of Mark in verse 11. And so that Satan calls upon this relationship and he calls it into question. He begins to mock Jesus and say, look, you're starving here in this wilderness. If you're really the son of God, why are you starving to death in the wilderness? If you're really the son of God, use your power, turn these stones into bread. Feed yourself since you're the son of God. Now there's no question that Jesus could have done that. I believe he could have. He could have turned the stones to bread if he wanted to. He had the power to do so. It is not a sin to want to meet a legitimate need. But to use his power in that way at this time would have shown a lack of faith in his father. The temptation here is for Jesus to act independently of the father and the spirit. The devil wants Jesus To do his own thing. Christ's answer to the devil showed the condition of his heart. He would rather starve to death than be put out of the Father's will. Being in the center of the Father's will meant more to Jesus than food in life. What a challenge that is to us. How easily we sell out to get our hands on the things we desire. How easily we give in to compromise and sin so we can satisfy the lusts of our flesh. And like the foolish Jews, we love bread more than we love the Father at times, as it says in John chapter 6, verse 26. Satan was trying to get Jesus to do his own thing. Satan will try to get you to do the same thing. That's the first temptation. Notice the second temptation, verses 5 through 7. And here, Satan tries to get Jesus to perform the miraculous apart from the will of God again. Satan took Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple, and this spot was to, uh, was said to have been 450 feet high. Satan knows Scripture too, doesn't he? The tr- problem is, he misquotes Scripture. Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12, he misquotes. He left out something. He left out the phrase, to keep thee in all thy ways. You see, that's the promise of God to protect the Messiah as he was carrying out the Father's will. Satan was trying to get Jesus to step outside the will and work a miracle to prove that he was who he claimed to be. He was also trying to get Jesus to accept immediate fame. And if he stepped off the pinnacle of the temple and floated to the ground, he would have instantly been famous. Again, Jesus' response is in the proper way. His response was one of faith. He said it is never right to operate contrary to God's will regardless of the outcome. God honors obedience. God doesn't honor outcomes. Satan knew the word of God But he misquoted it, of course, for his own use. But Jesus responds with the word of God. It is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Wonderful lesson for us here. Far too many people, too many ministries in our day seem to think the end justifies the means. Uh, They have, uh, have that mentality that everything is all right. You can do anything you want as long as we get some people to the Lord. Use any method that's out there and just so we can get people to come to Christ. You see, all things will turn out for good in the end, right? You know, God does not bless programs. God does not bless people. God does not bless puppets. God does not bless petting zoos. He blesses his word. And he blesses obedience to his word. The increase belongs to God. Obedience to his word is our responsibility. External prosperity does not mean that God is approving of what we're doing. God always has and always will bless obedience. He may not bless us in external ways that men will recognize, but he always honors those who honor him. Moses and the twice-smitten rock in Numbers chapter 20. Moses was commanded to speak to the rock so the water might be given. He struck the rock twice and said, And God graciously gave the water, but Moses was not allowed to enter the promised land because he disobeyed. I'd rather have the blessing in the presence of God than prosperity that can be achieved through human means. That brings us to the third temptation, in verses 8 through 10. Again, the devil taketh up into the exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and saith unto them or unto him, All these things will be I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then said Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve." Again, here Satan as the God of this world offers Jesus the kingdoms of the world. Satan is attempting to get Jesus to take the crown and bypass the cross. For a simple bow to the limited sovereignty of Satan, Jesus would skip the pain of the cross and have the world fall at his feet. You know, apparently Satan had power to grant that promise. I don't I think because he probably would never have given it, but Jesus responds in a way that honors God once again. He reminds Satan that only God is worthy of worship. You see Jesus did not come into this world for, just for a crown. Oh, there's a crown in his future. But for Jesus, the path to the crown leads by the way of the cross. Jesus came to this world to die. He would obtain the crown by laying down his life at Calvary's cross. Again, there's a lesson here for us. Satan would have us take the easy, the painless way. He promised us an easy path if we will just allow him to be the ruler of our lives. But if you give the devil an inch, he'll become your ruler. God's will is that we walk in His ways. God's will is that we trust Him to give us the things He desires to bring into our lives in His time. Then notice the testimony of the temptation. Luke says in Luke chapter 4, verse 13, And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. This would certainly not be the last encounter that Jesus would have with the devil. Because he would ultimately defeat Satan wherever, uh, forever when he died on the cross. But here in his temptation, we find that Jesus wins the victory over Satan. And I think what needs to be said here, the temptation of Jesus was not about trying him to get him to sin. Jesus was God in the human flesh, and it's impossible for him to sin. I think the Bible very clear in this matter. First, he knew no sin. Secondly, he did no sin. And thirdly, he had no sin. Yet, he was tempted in every way that you and I are tempted. It says in Hebrews 4.15, he was tempted in the physical realm, the emotional realm, and the spiritual realm, just like we are. If he could have sinned, or I should say, if he could not have sinned, were his temptations real? Yes, they were real. The temptation of Jesus was not to see whether he would commit sin or not, but to prove that he could not sin. He proved that he was the sinless son of God in the wilderness. And there are some lessons we can learn. Lessons that can help us in our days of testing. Jesus overcame because he was sinless. We fall because we are sinful. So how can we obtain victory in our own battles? Well, we can do that by watching Jesus in his trial, and it can help us in ours. There are two things we need to take note of. First, he was filled with the Spirit. In Mark chapter 1, verse 10, It says, in straightway coming out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. Secondly, he was filled with the Word of God. Did you notice as we read those three temptations, three times he reached back into the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. And it was just the Word that he needed. The Spirit of God gave him the ability to stand against the the attacks of the devil. The Word of God gave him the ammunition to defend himself while he attacked back. And if you want to be successful in your battle with the flesh and the devil, you need to be sure that you're living a life that's controlled by the Spirit of God. Even as it says and commands us in Ephesians one or 5.18, be filled with the Spirit... And you need to be filled with the word of God. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 119.11. We need him and his power if we're going to have victory in our own lives, in our own times of testing. The first Adam was placed in a beautiful garden. It was a perfect setting, and yet he failed. Because of Adam's fall, all of his children have been born into sin. We all need a Savior, and we all have trouble with sin and temptation. The second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, was given or driven into the barren wilderness, and there he did battle with the devil, and he walked away with a victory. Jesus went into the wilderness, faced the devil on his own turf. He did this so he might help us when we're in our time's of testing. He understands because he's been there. He's able to help those who will look to him for the power to overcome their own trial and temptations. He fought the battle so he could hand us the victory. I want you to notice as we close, Satan is a defeated foe. But let me say this is one of the great paradoxes of the spiritual life. You see the trial maybe you're going through. You see the test. You see the temptation. God has allowed that. And indeed, God has put his stamp on it that it should come into your life. He has arranged it by the Spirit, and you'll not have too much, and you'll not have too little. Yet, there is Satan and he's operative in trying to pull you down as a child of God, trying to discourage you, trying to depress you, trying to discredit you. This is the tension right through the Christian experience, and it's a mystery, yes. Life is a mystery. The Christian life is a mystery. Again, Joseph found it to be true in the pit. He found it to be true in Potiphar's house. He found it to be true in the prison and then when he came to the palace, up, down, up, down, mountain, valley, mountain, valley. In that description of our lives sometimes, up and down, mountain and valley. And at the end of it all, God's word said, says that Joseph said, But as for you, you thought it evil against me, but God meant it unto good. Now, let me ask you, because it is vital, because if you're ever going to overcome temptation, you've got to see that there's this tension in the Christian life. And you know as well as I do, not all is sunshine and roses. It's a battle, it's a fight. The Holy Spirit arranges the temptations and the trials. Even the very the cross has his paradox in it. You remember the apostle saying, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Acts 2.23. I wonder, do you see the two things? God has planned before the foundation of the world that Christ would go to the cross and die for sinners, and yet wicked men took him by their uh, their hands and they put him to death? What temptation are you facing today? What temptation have you been subjected to? Maybe you've failed so many times, you wonder, is it possible to have victory at all? Can I say to you this morning, yes, yes, it is possible. Indeed, it is inevitable though, and only through uh, uh, inevitable through and only through the Lord Jesus Christ and by facing your trials and temptations the same way he did. How's that? You need to recognize that suffering tests and trials is a part of what it means to be a servant of God. We can expect testing, especially after spiritual climaxes and high points, it's gonna come. And we will overcome when we understand that although the devil wants us to fall into temptation, God has willed it for good. And therefore we ought to rise to the occasion and realize that God is going to give us a gift of strength when we overcome and he'll lead us from strength to strength. Obey God Be filled with the Spirit and be filled with His Word. And you can deal with the trials and the tests and the temptations that come into life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you.